This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Let's start by wishing you and yours from me and mine a very happy new year. Welcome to 2021, welcome to Tier 4, but welcome to vaccines and welcome to a Brexit deal that many thought might never happen. What does this all mean for farming? Well, to a large extent, only time will tell. Last week, we looked back at the highs and many lows of 2020. This week, in another Farming Programme special, I've invited some of our regular contributors to share their hopes, desires and predictions for 2021. Let's start where we ended last week with rural crime. Chief Inspector Phil Vickers is from Lincolnshire Police. Do you see 2021 being any different, better or worse or or more of the same? Uh, I'm, I'm definitely optimistic. I, I, I do see uh, 2021 getting better. So uh, the work that we've been doing nationally around Operation Galileo, tackling hair coursing, I, I do see a change in direction and a level of support for uh, taking some more national action and, and a change in the way that the courts are able to deal with offenders. So, so I think there's, there's going to be some positive news that we'll see uh, in, in that direction. I, I think that we've got the right partners on board. Uh, so, so again, uh, although we can we can expect that the, the criminal offenders, the organised crime groups who, who target rural locations. We can see that their tactics will change, but we just need to be a step ahead of them to, to, to make Lincolnshire a safer place. We also spoke last week with Jane Southall, Chief Exec of the Lincolnshire Showground, where, of course, we didn't have a show. Well, not in the conventional sense, but there was a highly successful virtual show. Jane, I'm sure it's difficult to predict, but how's the new year looking for the showground? From an events point of view, we've got lots of inquiries coming through for events for next year. Um, but it just has to see, you know, see what we can do and not do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking at the show. We're looking at doing farmhouse breakfasts remotely. So we'll still work with the schools remotely as, as much as we can. Um, and sort of as things unfold, we'll, we'll obviously put other events and things in place. So we did um, a Sunday fun day this year in September, uh, which we're looking to, to do again. And hopefully we can do Countryside Links in April, which is a great sort of mini show and a mini day out. But um, we'll just see how, how we get on. David Whitewood and the team at Earth Rover had a good 2020 with much progress being made in the field of precision farming. But then Google came on the farming scene. David, do you see their entry as competition, a threat or an exciting development for 2021? I think uh, Google's entry is exciting. Uh, What this sector has lacked uh, is investment. I think I mentioned that to you before uh, when we met in September. Um, There's a lot of people sitting on the fence looking at agriculture saying it has to digitise. We need robotics. It needs to change. There aren't a lot of people opening their checkbooks uh, as yet. But now with Google coming into this space, well, it just validates that this is an exciting and uh, valuable opportunity for investors. And what stage are they at? Are they actually in the fields or are we still testing and developing? Uh, They are showing some stuff on their site that suggests that they are in strawberry fields uh, and also in uh, soya bean fields. Again, they're using uh, a ground robot as opposed to drones to do this scouting uh, and to, to, to build this crop intelligence. Incredible. So anything else that you see likely in 2021? I think you'll see more robots uh, on farms. You're already seeing, uh, seeing a lot in tomato farms and strawberry farms. Still early stage, uh, but I think you'll start to see a lot more of it appearing in farmers starting to test, test out what's been available. It'll still be a long time before we see it widely adopted and you'll see robots in fields instead of tractors. But um, I think you'll see a lot more of it in 2021. 
I think it would be like the mobile phone adoption. Do you remember the car phone, Steve? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where you had the big brick in the car, and then you had the portable car phone, and then people had um, you know more portable car phones, uh, bricks, and uh, look where we are today, and look how it's changed. Look how it's just changed the world. And I think robots on farms is going to be the same. It is. It is the future. Uh, it's just a question of of when. Yeah when and how much and and who's prepared to as you say stump up some cash for to get this actually out there yeah well the, the high value crops are obviously the first ones that are going to get it versus arable crops because there's an easy case to make an easy return for the farmer smaller areas to cover uh, but potentially the, the bigger arable crops too will get robots it's going to be another interesting year, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. <laughs> but will it be a profitable year? There's opportunities as ever, but question marks too, particularly around BPS transitioning into Elms. Brian Richardson is Head of Agriculture for Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank. Yeah, I think that's right. And we do have these challenges and potentially there is going to be less money from, from government floating around. They've, they've said it'll be the same amount for the next four years, but who knows thereafter. So we need to plan for a different type of industry, I think. But I think you know, what, what, what's going to help us there, I think, is a rebalancing of the industry. So it's not just going to be about farmers uh, being able to take costs out. It's all that supply chain as well. So hopefully that, that uh, creates some more efficiencies in the chain. I think the, the supermarkets through all this, who are the main buyers, they buy 80% of, of produce coming off farm have recognized the value of food and that just-in-time mentality and flexibility they felt they had before. I think they stood up after COVID or during COVID and really realized that they need closer relationships with farmers, which then perhaps allows for a better sharing of the price. And then, as you say, new technology is coming along at a pace, and I think agriculture has always been fairly slow at picking that up. But as I move around and see lots of things across the country now, there's some really good technology, there's some really good work on big data on animal breeding programs and using that to to improve what we're doing fertilizer management and soil management so all that's going to come to the fore very quickly because you know there's going to be some gaps here we're going to need to fill those gaps uh in terms of income and and sustainability and helping that co2 agenda going forward so i think it's a really exciting time but it's going to require an open mind i think to look at these uh and adapt to them the CLA and the NFU had a busy 2020 with much campaigning and legislation to think about and plenty on which to advise their members. Nick Sanford from the CLA, any positives going into 2021? There is some good news on the horizon. I mean, the Agriculture Act was passed. This is going to be a major change in the whole way we approach uh, farming and the environmental landscape. And uh, I think as if people can embrace the changes, there are some real opportunities as we move towards the so-called public money for public goods, areas like natural capital, uh, payment for ecosystem services, etc., could be a real benefit for the agricultural community. Uh, they're going to take a bit of time to work through. In the short term, there will be some drop in farm incomes from the change from the uh, agricultural policy basic farm payment system. But... I think in the long term, there's a lot of opportunities out there. And I think also if you combine this with research and development, new ideas, new crops uh, and new technology, I think the farming sector has a, a promising future. Short term, quite difficult because change is always difficult. But longer term, I think there's some quite positive things to come out of it. 
Of course, climate change will inevitably require our focus this year. Stuart Roberts, Deputy President of the NFU, one project you're involved in, which is coming up early in the new year, is COP26. What's that all about? Yeah, it's, uh, it's COP26. It's, uh, it's in Glasgow next year. This is a big uh, intergovernment gathering on climate change. And I think it, it provides a real focus point, actually, for agriculture to shout about how we're part of the solution to climate change. Too often we seem to be painted as the villains of climate change, when actually I fundamentally believe uh, agriculture is, is the solution. We are one of the very few parts of the economy which actually act as a, a carbon sink and a carbon store. And alongside our net zero commitment that we made uh, nearly two years ago now, uh, we're really keen that farmers tell the public and tell uh, politicians what we are doing every day towards net zero. And it's, it's Pledge 2040 you're referring to, Steve. And I'd love anyone to get on the NFU website there's a map there. Put yourself on the map and tell the great British public what fantastic work farmers are doing towards net zero and how we're positively impacting on climate change right at this very moment. What about on the farm itself? Lincolnshire farmer Andrew Ward, what's on your wish list for 2021? Well, Steve, first on my list is the coronavirus. It would be great to get that put behind us now and get back to a bit of normality. It's playing havoc with people's lives and people's businesses. And it would be great if we could get to the summer where we could get back to mixing and socialising and and getting back to the way we normally operate our, our lives. I know that seems a long way off at the moment, though. Another thing that's high on my my list is certainty. At the moment, we've got the ELM project that was announced recently, the Environment Land Management Scheme that was announced a couple of months ago. But the details of that are very sketchy at the moment, and we really need to know how that's going to affect our businesses going forwards and what we have to do um, going forwards in the next few years. And coupled with that, obviously, is Brexit. Yes, there's a deal being announced a few days ago. However... That, again, is still uncertain as to how that will play out, what impact that will have on our exports and imports and how we will uh, fit into the whole scheme. So, again, there's uncertainty there. Another thing that I'm really keen on, and I think most farmers are, is we need more support from the government. And I don't mean financial support. I mean support in the fact that they understand that the food we produce in this country is right at the top of the league compared to the rest of the world. And it would be so nice if we could have imports matching those high standards because at the moment we have oilseed rape that is grown abroad to standards and grown with plant protection products that are banned here and yet they're allowed to come onto our supermarket shelves and that and that clearly isn't right. We have enjoyed some good prices this year though, haven't we, Andrew? Prices at the moment are, are very good and it'd be nice if they continued. But again, regarding the Brexit, we're not quite sure what impact that will have on prices. So I think while we have some decent prices, I'm certainly taking advantage of those and selling forward. I've sold some grain already for October um, 2021 and also October 2022 to try and make advantage of those of those good prices. 
And lastly, I think it would be really remiss of me not to thank everybody who who supports British agriculture because we've got a a big surge at the moment, I feel, in, in the general public. And thank you for buying British produce because it is greatly appreciated. We work in the countryside and without your support, we wouldn't be able to do that. So could I please end by by wishing everybody um, a happy new year and let's hope we get it into 2021 that uh, going forward in the middle of the year, we can get back to some normality. Here, here, and fingers crossed. Thanks, Andrew. After looking back at 2020 last week, a year which saw so many with their heads in their hands for numerous reasons, we're starting 2021 with agriculture's hopes, desires and predictions for the year just started. A year we all desperately hope will be an improvement on the last. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Happy New Year to you. Have you got your positive hat on for the new year? I think there's a lot to look forward to. I think, personally, I would like the weather in 2021 to be as good as 2020 was bad. Shocker, 2020, all the weather was wrong. We followed a wet autumn in 19 into a horrible 2020. The wrong weather at the wrong time, the worst harvest on record, the most pests I've ever witnessed confine it to the history books and move forward and pray that it doesn't happen again in our lifetime. Because as we sit here today, we've got as far as Christmas in far better nick than we could have hoped for, particularly comparing it to autumn 2019. 95% plus of the proposed winter wheat, winter barley, winter oats in the ground, up, not suffering from pests, weeds, disease, nutrient disorders, they look fantastic. Not an acre of my seed rate lost to cabbage stem flea beetle, astonishingly, and much less lost to that pest than we saw last year, which is quite extraordinary considering the biblical levels we witnessed last year. So everything looks good as we push in to 2021. So far, so good then, Sean. What are you hoping for weather-wise this year? The exact opposite of last year, I guess? What do I hope for? I'd like to start with a good hard winter that helps kill off bugs in the field. We need minus six or colder to kill things like aphids, which haven't possibly been killed yet with our intervention if the land's not been good enough to travel on. So we could do with a hard winter to kill off some of those bugs and settle down the diseases. There's mildew, there's yellowrust, there's septoria in the field. Cold weather will kill off mildew. It won't kill yellowrust because you need it to be cold enough for it to kill the leaf that the rust sits on. And we didn't even see that in 2011 when we got down to minus 18. But a hard winter sets us up, it hardens the crops off and it gets us a good start as spring appears in a couple of three months time. I'd then like to see a benevolent February, March, April and early May in terms of the weather. Rain, dry, warm, all in regular normal sorts of levels to get away from the extremes we saw last year. That allows us to get spring crops in the ground early and up early. If the soils are warming up quickly, we can have them drilled and up within 10 days. That gives the crop a chance to put a good root system down and they have a chance then of withstanding any drought. Of course, last year we got them in, but it came so hot and dry that we simply couldn't get them up and through the ground. So an early in and an early up is the best way to proceed with spring crops. What about the pests? We had an extraordinary year in 2020 in sugar beet, potatoes and cereals. I saw higher levels of barley yellow dwarf virus vectors like bird cherry oat aphid, grain aphid, rose grain aphid in emerging spring wheat, spring barley, spring oats in April, May than I have ever witnessed. 
but the predators did come in and do their bit. Integrated pest management worked really well. So my biggest hope, I think, for next year is far higher and earlier incursion levels of ladybirds, lacewings, spiders, wasps, hoverflies, all the predators that feed on these pests than we used to. They'll deal with our aphids and for us in, in the cereal crops and the potato crops and the sugar beet crops, that's going to be vital going forward. I also just want to get the chance of getting a good high quality harvest for 21. Quality always better than quantity. But if the weather is with us, we can do the rest to make that happen. Be nice if we could control the weather the way we can control other parts of the job. I've always said this job is 80% luck and 20% skill. 90% of that 80% luck is down to the weather. The other 10% of it is just being in the right place at the right time on the right day in the right conditions to allow you to get as close to an optimum timing as you possibly can. But you do need 100% of that 20% skill in order to stand any chance at all of success. Moving away from the weather, what about Brexit and government support, as Andrew mentioned earlier? What can I say, really? I want to come at this from a different angle. We must get consumers and the good British public behind domestic food production. That's the key to everything. In the, in the UK, we have 18.2 million hectares of agricultural land, but only around 4,667,000 hectares, or 27% of that area, is capable of growing food crops, cereals, pulses, vegetables, root crops, salad, nuts, all of those things. Just 27%. The rest of it is either upland, downland, mountains, forests, woodlands, fells, land inaccessible, all of that. So just 27% of the area is capable of arable food crops, a lot of it down here in this eastern corner. We're 62% self-sufficient in the UK in food. That's meat, dairy, arable, all of those things, around 62%. Now, it's become very clear we can't rely upon other people to bring us food if we're sure. Our near neighbours, who probably will no longer be our friends in Europe, the rest of the world, they just don't produce to our high standards in terms of animal welfare, environmental protection, in technical attention to detail of growing these crops. Nowhere near up to our UK standards. And the best quality, the most welfare-friendly, the most environmentally sustainably produced food in the world is produced right here. Consumers, shoppers, general public, doesn't matter how we categorise ourselves, we all have to eat. We haven't had food shortages since the 1960s. I've never witnessed them. We're used to regular supplies, easily accessible, affordable, high quality, well stocked shelves. UK farmers can help do that. We can keep food stocks high. We can go from 62% self sufficiency to 72, 82, and beyond. But we have to have the great British public behind us, supporting us while we do that, because things are changing in agriculture more so than we've ever witnessed. Direct payments are on the way out. The next two or three years will be crucial for UK agriculture. We have a scheme of public money for public good, which everybody's heard of coming in, and it's only weeks away, but we've got no details of how the rules will be applied. So all of the sheep farmers, beef farmers, poultry farmers, arable farmers, all of those people producing, growing and rearing the food we eat are under real tangible threat at the moment. What about environmental matters, Sean? There seems to be a continued move from government that seems to threaten farming and food production. I'm thinking rewilding, for example. 
I know it's a crucial thing that the environment is looked after. Farmers are doing that now. It's crucial we manage carbon emissions, that we adapt our ways to limit the effect of climate change. We're doing that now. But by the same token, and there are 7 billion people on the face of the earth, a billion people go to bed starving every night. If you come closer to home, 67 million people live in the UK that we know of. I mean, there's probably so many more than that that we're not aware of. All of these people need to eat. The best way that I can describe the pressure there is on the land that produces your food is if you take an apple and you imagine that apple is the earth, cut it in half and then into quarters. You can immediately throw away three of those quarters because that's all of the seas and the oceans. 75% of the earth's surface is covered in seas and oceans that we cannot grow food on. If you take the remaining quarter and you cut that into half, you have two eighths instead of one quarter. Throw one of those pieces away because that's all the mountains, the deserts, the ice caps, the tundras, the permafrost, all of those things where we cannot grow food. You're left with an eighth of an apple. Cut it into three pieces. Throw two of those pieces away because that's all the villages, the towns, the cities, houses, schools, factories, shops, roads, airports, businesses, all of those things are on two thirds of that last eighth of an apple. You're left with 4% of the earth's surface left. If you take the skin and you cut off the pulp and throw the pulp away because we can only grow food in arable soils down to a depth of about 14 inches. We can only grow in that topsoil. So that little flap of skin, which represents a 4% piece of the whole surface of the earth is where all of our food is grown. We must protect that and we have to stop incursion and we mustn't revert that to other forms. That is where we produce our food. We must protect and manage that 4% of the earth's surface. Otherwise we starve. And if carbon capture is the aim of the government, then grassland and arable crops which are being grown using modern techniques and low soil disturbance, minimum mechanical soil interference, hedgerow management, all of those are vital. That's where we're sequestering carbon. The upland farmers, the sheep farmers, the hill farmers managing that land that can't grow arable food, they are sequestering carbon in that grassland. We have to help them. We have to manage them. To remove food land from production and plant it with trees or flood it to recreate ancient wetlands will do far more damage to us as a society, I think. Just think about it. Carbon dioxide emissions are manageable. Methane emissions, which is 30 times worse as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, are manageable. We're managing those in agriculture. But nitrous oxide, um, which is 300 times more damaging than carbon dioxide, is not manageable if land is flooded. You get a natural bacterial process called denitrification, whether it's organic land, cultivated land, your garden, your flower beds. If they flood, you get denitrification where the soil bacteria eat and use the oxygen molecules on nitrates in the soil as their oxygen source. And by doing so, they release nitrous oxide into the atmosphere. Flooded land releases huge, almost incalculable levels of nitrous oxide into the atmosphere. And remember, that's 300 times more dangerous as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. So the best way to manage greenhouse gases is to drain the land, not flood it. People need to become far more in touch with the facts and the reality of this industry and what we're doing out here and far less burdened and influenced by celebrities who've got too little to do and way too much time to do it. So we must get people to realise that farming is going to save us. It's not social media and celebrities which are going to do that. That's what I'm hoping for going forward. 
Excellent, as ever. Thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services will be back with us next week with some timely agronomy advice. And we'll welcome back Kit Dickinson from Openfield to update us on the markets as they get back into full swing. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. So how does our first forecast of 2021 look? Well, a northeasterly breeze today, keeping temperatures no higher than about 4 Celsius. Light rain on and off through the day. 2 or 3 Celsius overnight tonight into Monday, which will be cloudy with light rain. The wind staying northeasterly, but picking up to the mid-teens MPH and gusting into the upper 20s, highs of 5 Celsius. Remaining much the same for Tuesday, perhaps a degree cooler during the day and down to around 2 Celsius overnight into Wednesday. The wind staying northerly but in single figures, another cold day, no higher than 3 Celsius, the high rain overnight into Thursday and for the end of the week the wind staying light, staying cold with a chance of sleet or snow Thursday night and Friday, certainly a damp end to the week. Next week on the Farming Programme, we're back to normal and we'll be joined by the new chairperson of Lincolnshire Young Farmers, Charlotte Garbett, and the Farm Safety Foundation's Stephanie Barclay. Plus, we'll find out about the work of a charity hoping to continue to educate children in the journey from farm to fork without actually being able to get the kids on the farm in person. I'm Steve Orchard. I hope you have a happy, healthy, prosperous and safe new year. Do join me for the Week in Agriculture same time next week on Lynx FM and online, the app and all podcast platforms.